This morning, we're going to continue in our series, Exiles, as we are studying through the book of First Peter. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be kind of digging into a new section in the text. Uh, next week, I just want to let you know, next week, we're going to be dealing with the topics uh, that the text brings up, some topics of government and politics. And it's going to bring up some topics around what does it look like to live faith out and some of the, the, the nuts and bolts of life. And so I would encourage you to join us next week. It's going to be a really encouraging and challenging message, I think, for all of us this morning, though. Uh, we're going to dive into the text as it is. If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And would you stand with me across the room as we're going to read our primary text this morning? Say it all the time. There's nothing sacred about standing. It's just what we do to say, God, we honor your words over my words, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse number 11. It says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, I'm asking that you would speak to us, Lord. You've already been moving in our hearts. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Father, that we would be responsive to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm going to take a different posture this morning than I normally do, and you'll understand that in a moment. Um, uh, question for you. Uh, how many of you um, would say you're a procrastinator? Raise your hand. Just be honest. Okay, some of you, like, it depends on the circumstance, some of you. Right, the college, how many of you in college, you were the procrastinator, like you stay up late, you write the paper at two in the morning, Jordan, uh, doing those kind of things late at night. Uh, and I, when I was in college, I was a hard worker in college, but I, I could be a little bit of a procrastinator when it came to big things. I, I wrote some epic papers at 4 a.m. Like, you ever have that moment where you wake up in the morning, you read it, like, this is actually pretty good. I don't remember writing this at all, but it's actually pretty good. Um, I tell you this, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. When it comes to preaching here, I'm not a procrastinator. Uh, I spend a lot of time investing and preparing and praying and writing these messages. And this Monday when I came to the office, I did what I always do. I began working hard. I began praying. I began writing. I began studying. I spent the whole week. Actually, I probably spent a little bit more time than I ordinarily do. And, and here's the message that I came up with. It's awesome. It's, great. it's a great message. I worked real hard on this one. Except Friday, Friday night, I was uh, sitting at home, and Amber was out with some friends, and I pulled out the message just to kind of go through some things a little bit. And as I was reading through, I just felt this check in my heart. I've never had this happen before. I'm like, I'm not supposed to preach this one this Sunday. I put a lot of time into it. <laughs> I'm not supposed to preach this one Sunday. I felt God say, you, you, you told me what, what the text said, but you're a little bit missing the heart of this text. And... Uh, and I want you to do something you never do. And that is, I'm not up here with any notes this morning. I'm up here with my Bible. That's it. And the text is in my heart. The, the message is in my heart. And I'm going to just trust the Holy Spirit to lead this moment. He's put this word on my heart. And so I'm, a, I'm sitting here on a stool just doing what I think the text is trying to do. And you'll understand that in a moment. All right? So I'm going to ask you. I'm gonna, we're going to speak for about 20 minutes here. And then we're going to respond because this text demands that we respond this morning, all right? Um, to understand 
the text. To understand what is really going on here, you got to go back and you have to understand who wrote this book. Who wrote the letter of 1 Peter? It's the Apostle Peter. You know the story of Peter, right? Peter was a guy who was going about his life, and Jesus said, come follow me. And he drops everything, and he goes and follows Jesus. And for years, he walks alongside Jesus. He sees him do the miracles, all the amazing things. He's taught about what does it mean to follow Jesus, this way of following God that Jesus is teaching. It's unbelievable. It transforms every part of his life, right? Okay? And he gets to this moment where he says, Jesus, I'm never going to leave you. No matter what happens, I'll never leave you. And we know the story, right? What happens? At the moment when Jesus was in his deepest need, Peter said, I don't know the guy. He denied even knowing Jesus. He had told Jesus, I'll never deny you. And less than 24 hours later, he's denied you. When it gets hard, when it got difficult, Peter bailed. But then Jesus rose from the dead. This amazing miracle takes place, the resurrection And he has this encounter, Jesus has this encounter with Peter, where he says, Peter, invites him back into the story. He says, you're you're not so far gone that you can't come back. And he says, Peter, feed my sheep. I've taught you. You've walked with me. You know the right way. You know what's necessary. Feed my sheep. You go take what I've given you, and you give it to others. And so Peter goes out, and on the day of Pentecost, he preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people come to faith. Right? And then he goes on and he's one of the apostles. He's one of the leaders of the church. And, and he becomes this like pastoral figure overseeing the church, leading, giving guidance, doing all these things. And in this moment, this letter, Peter knows a group of believers that are in a circumstance that's hard. They're in a circumstance that's difficult. They're in a circumstance where they probably want to bail just like he had bailed years ago. And so he writes a letter to them to encourage them. Now, I'm going to say there's some of you in the room this morning that can relate to the audience that he's writing to because there's been moments in your life where you've wanted to bail, where it's been hard. Students, you just came back from camp. Guess what? Amber's right. It ain't hard at camp when you got hundreds of kids praising the Lord. It's going to be hard next week when you're with your friends. It's going to be hard when you go back to school. There's going to be that moment where you want to bail. I'm done with this thing. Honestly, there's some of you that have probably started following Jesus in the last few weeks, months, or years. And there are moments where you're like, this is hard. This is hard. Like parts of my life are having to change. Like this isn't easy all the time. There's some of you out there, you got kids, your moms and your dads, and you're trying to raise your kids for Jesus. You're trying to lead them to Christ. And you're like, this is hard. This is difficult. It feels like everything in the world is leading my kids the other direction. This is not easy. There's some of you that are just simply trying to be faithful to Christ in a world where it feels like everything and everyone is trying to pull you the other direction, right? And so it's to that that Peter writes this letter. To these people, they're struggling. They're experiencing persecution. It's not easy. In fact, the Christians, they were kind of scorned on. It wasn't just that there was this great persecution. It's that people didn't want to be around them. They thought they were crazy. They thought it was this cult movement. In fact, because they took communion together, there was these these idea going around that they were eating human flesh, right? (laughs) Because they were taking communion. They thought they were cannibals. It was, it was crazy. They wanted nothing to do with them, so they couldn't buy stuff. They didn't want to, you know, it was just very, very difficult for them. And so Peter decides to write a letter to them, to bring an encouragement to them. And if you remember what this letter was like from the very beginning, chapter one, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He's like, I'm, I'm writing a word to encourage them. Remember, remember, like I know it's hard right now. 
I know it's not easy to follow Christ right now, but remember, you have a living hope. You have a living hope. You have an inheritance that God has provided for you, right? You're not just holding on just for here. No, there is something in store for you. It is sealed in heaven for you. And no matter what you face, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what it feels like, sometimes you're having to give some things up. It is nothing in comparison to the inheritance God has in store for you. And so you need to hold on. He's like, hold on. Don't forget the living hope that you have. And then we get to chapter two. We talked about this two weeks ago. Chapter two, he begins to talk about this this grander vision of the gospel. Listen, it isn't just you and your personal faith. All of you are the temple of the living almighty God. There's something that is bigger than yourself that you've been invited into as a follower of Christ. And all of you being built together, it doesn't make sense, but the presence of God literally dwells among your midst. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And then he says, we're all priests. And I'm not talking like the collar priests. Like we're the ones that get to minister before the Lord. There's this supernatural thing that we've been invited into. And then we got to the end of that passage and what did it say? But you, he gives us this amazing identity. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, right? Once you were the outsider, nobody cared about you. You were forgotten. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then we get to the text for today. And this is a pivoting moment in the letter, right? This is a turning point. You're going to notice if you read the letter through, all of a sudden like, oh, we're going a new direction here. He's just painted this grand identity. He's painted this grand picture for what it means to follow Jesus. And then we get to to verse number 11, and he says this, Dear friends, and and I don't really love that phrase because more accurately in the Greek, it means beloved. He's saying beloved. This is a pastoral moment here. I've just told you who you are in Christ. I've just told you this this grand picture that you've been invited into something big. I've just told you all this stuff. You gotta know I love you. I care about you guys. Like I desperately care for you. It's beloved. I urge you. I urge you. I'm begging of you. I beseech you. Like I'm, I'm desperately crying out to you with this message here. And he says, as foreigners and exiles, remember, this isn't your home. Remember, this isn't your home. You're exiles here living in a land. One day you'll get to experience your full inheritance, but you're exiles right now. Remember that. I know it's not easy. I know it's not hard right now. I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. And I don't love that translation either. That more accurately in the Greek, it says fleshly lusts. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Now you're probably like, oh, yes, I get it, Greg. <laughs> We're Christians. We should stay away from sin. That's a bad thing. Yeah. He's saying abstain from fleshly lusts because of who you are, right? Because of what you have in store. Abstain from fleshly lust. And don't just do it because that's the right thing to do. Don't just do it because that's the Christian thing to do. Don't just do it because you're supposed to, because that's the nice religious thing to do. He said, abstain from it. Why? Because it is literally waging war against your soul. 
It is waging war against your soul. This sinful desires, these fleshly lusts, these carnal things, these things of this world that oftentimes pull us away from Christ, it is literally waging war against your soul. Some of you are walking around and you're just, your soul feels dry. You feel like you're sitting on the ocean and there's all this water around and you keep drinking, but you're still dry. It's salt water that just constantly makes you more and more dry. He's like this fleshly lust, these things that we go after, it's actually, it's not just killing your body, it's killing your soul. And it's somebody who loves you. I'm somebody who cares about you. I want what's best for you. I want you to experience the good things that God has in store for you. I'm telling you, abstain from the things that are killing you. Abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, what does that mean? What are fleshly lusts? There's a passage in, that Paul wrote in the book of Galatians where he gives a list of what some of these acts of the flesh might be, some of these lusts that we have in our life. And I want to pull that up. If you want to pull up the passage from Galatians, he writes this and he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And what I love is this letter was written 2,000 years ago. And this could be the first thing he puts up today too. <laughs> Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. So what is the word? The Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. Porneia. It's the word that we get pornography from, okay? But what does porneia mean? I like to refer to porneia as a junk drawer word, okay? How many of you have a, dr a junk drawer in your house somewhere? Got a junk drawer, okay? Why do we have a junk drawer? It doesn't really have a place so we throw it in the junk drawer, right? There's no, and it's just, it's just filled with a bunch of random stuff. That's what the word porneia is. It's a junk drawer word. What does that mean? It's, it means everything that isn't moral sexuality. And what is biblical sexuality? One man, one woman in the context of marriage. That's biblical sexuality. What is porneia? Everything outside of that. And so what are some of the fleshly loves? There's, there's lots of sexual things that are a, a challenge for us, whether it's relationships with others, whether it's inappropriate relationships, or whether it is simply, as we get the word, pornography, something. But it is something that literally, it's not just eroding your body, it's eroding your very soul. It's waging war. And in the world we live in, sexuality has become the God to many people. It has become the most important thing. It is never brought into submission before Christ. And he's saying, listen, this thing is killing you. But he goes on from there. He talks about impurity and debauchery. Now that's a little, a little wider. What are the things in your life that just take away your purity in some way? Maybe it's things you watch. Maybe it's things you listen to. Things that you engage in. Conversations that you have. You're like, it's, I don't know that it's horrible, but it, it doesn't make me pure. Oftentimes it kind of leads me the wrong direction. See, these things are waging war against your soul, actually. He goes on to idolatry and witchcraft. And I know it's really easy to say, okay, Greg, I don't have a gold idol. Like, I'm not involved in witchcraft. Great, I hope you aren't. But guess what? Whenever you put anything above God, that becomes idol, an idol in your life, whatever it is. We make idols out of lots of stuff. Some of us make idols out of our own children. The kids are the most important thing. They make every decision. Everything is guided around there. We have to be careful. What are we making idols out of? We make idols out of our spirituality sometimes and our religious attitudes, right? We make idols out of so many different things rather than saying, God, no, I'm here in submission to you. What are those fleshly things, right? The, like the, the idea of how I see myself. What am I doing here? Okay, the next section says hatred, discord, jealousy. 
You're like, well, I don't hate anybody. Yeah, but have you, have you harbored unforgiveness toward anyone in your heart? That person, that parent, you know, that friend that, that backstabs you, a person that sits on the other side of the sanctuary who you don't like to talk to, like where those, flesh, those are fleshly things. Those are responding just like the world does. And what does it do? It's literally waging war against your soul. It's destroying you from the inside out. And God's desire is something better for you than that. We go to fits of rage. I mean, some, some of us, it's not just an issue of anger. Sometimes there's fits of rage that come out of us, this stuff that flows out of us. Have you ever had those moments where you're like a little embarrassed by the stuff that came out of your mouth or the way that you responded? I know I can have moments like that. Like that's the flesh. That's me leaning into my flesh, not responding to the spirit and leaning into that, okay? And then here, you wanna pick one word that, that covers a lot of stuff, selfish ambitions. Selfish ambitions. Because I don't know about you, but I like me a lot. I care about me a lot. I want what's good for me. And a lot of times I make my decisions just on what do I want and what's best for me. It's selfish. And that's the flesh crying out. The flesh always cries out for more of me. It's all about me, 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 me. God's saying that literally will kill you. It will destroy you. It will eat you. It is waging war against your very soul. He goes on then, he talks about dissensions, factions, envy. Again, these relationships, how are we relating to other people? The, the selfish manner, the way that we relate is killing us. And then it gets to drunkenness and orgies and the like. And it's easy, you'll read this list and you're like, there's some of these things, I got no problems with these. That's great, I'm glad. But my guess is all of us have something in this list that we struggle with still. Something in this list that still gets a hold of us where it can still come out of us. And, and Peter is simply trying to say, listen, Listen, you've got to understand that this isn't just something we play around with. This isn't something that we just say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. No, it is waging war against our very soul. And God has not set us free so that we can keep playing in this stuff and living down to the level of the world around us. You see, oftentimes we, we're followers of Christ. Remember, we are chosen. We're royal priests of a holy nation, right? We're this amazing identity and we're playing in the mud still. We're playing around in the mud like everybody else. We're living like everybody else says, this is the way of the world. This is the way of Babylon. And we live this way rather than saying, hey, come up out of the mud for a second. Dust that stuff off for a moment. Can you live the way I'm calling you to live? Peter's saying, as somebody who loves you, beloved, beloved, abstain from sinful desires. Abstain from fleshly lusts. He goes on then in verse number 12. And you just need to notice this. Remember, we read two verses together today. In English, it's oftentimes written as two different sentences. In Greek, it's one long sentence, okay? And so what he's saying here is that this is not a two-parter. This is all one thought. He's saying, abstain from the sinful stuff. Abstain from the fleshly lust. Abstain from all that stuff and live such good lives among the pagans. Let's just insert non-believers. Let's live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. Because this is what was happening. The, the non-believers were looking at the believers and saying, those guys are crazy. They're accusing them of all these crazy stuff. He's like, they're gonna accuse you. That's great, that's great, okay? But, but his desire is, listen, that, that they might see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits, that they would look at your life and they would see something different. That, that the, the non-believers would see in your life and say, you know what? They don't behave 
like everybody else does. They don't think like everybody else does. They don't speak like everybody else does. They don't get bitter like everybody else does. They aren't hopeless like everybody else does. You know, like there's something different about them. And when we look at them, it actually draws our eyes that there might be something bigger in this world. Like that's Peter's call. And what Peter is doing is he's bringing us back to the very words Jesus said in Matthew. You want to pull that up in Matthew? Where Jesus said this, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That the way we live our lives might point people to God's goodness. So I want to get to our big so what. One thought for you this morning, a very, very simple thought for you this morning. And it's this, Jesus is looking for a Monday faith. Jesus is looking for a Monday faith. A lot of us are really good with Sunday faith. We got the Sunday faith down, right? You got the clothes you put on Sunday. You do your hair a little different on Sunday. Right? You show up on Sunday, I got my service I go to on Sunday. I know the songs. They did Here I Am the Worship. We all know Here I Am the Worship, right? We're all singing along. We know that kind of thing. We know how to smile, to do the handshake. Some of us are good at serving and engaging in those kind of things. And when we're here, we're really focused on the, on the spiritual stuff. We've really got that. We're focused on the, not the flesh. I know I'm God. I'm here. I'm worshiping you. But my question is, what does Monday look like in your life? What does Monday look like in your life? Are the words of your mouth are the things in your heart, are the intentions of your life, are they pure or are you continually running after your fleshly lusts? The fleshly things that take us the wrong way. What has your attention on Monday morning? What has your focus? Some of you are like, well, Greg, I, it's hard. It's hard. The, the reason these are things that are struggle with, the reason it's sin is because I don't want to do it, Greg, but I, but I still struggle with it. Well, the, the problem is it still requires us to take some action. The good news of the gospel, and hear this, the good news of the gospel is that God didn't say, hey, figure it out on your own. He said, listen, I will put my spirit inside of you to overcome whatever those things are. He doesn't just say, Galatians says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But he didn't set you free to keep living out your fleshly desires. He set you free so you could overcome the fleshly desires in your life. All right? But here's what it demands. When he gives you the power, it demands that you step into it and say, God, I'm going to continue to pursue righteousness. I'm going to pursue goodness. I'm not going to keep playing in the mud. God, I'm going to run after you. I'm going to pursue righteousness in all things under the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, right? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. I'm not going to keep playing in the mud. I'm not going to continue focusing on the fleshly, earthly things. Instead, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit come out of me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, right? Long so, all of those, that this would come out of us. But it's going to require us to say, God, Help me to live this out beyond Sunday morning. Peter would say, beloved, beloved, dear friends, I know it's not easy. I know you want to give up. I know, I know it's easy to get sloppy when it comes to issues. 
of sin, when it gets issues of the flesh, it's easy to get sloppy. Because how many know everybody else is running that way? It's just so natural to give in to your fleshly desires. It's just normal. It's what everybody else is doing. But remember who you are. You are exiles. This isn't your homeland. And I've set you free so you could live a different type of life. A life that glorifies me. A life that when people look at you, they say, that's different. Ultimately, it will point people to my goodness and the freedom that's available inside. Right? So this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Right? Because I believe every single one of us may have some stuff in our life that we need to just say, God, I got to get, I need to lay some stuff down. There's some fleshly stuff that's been waging war in my soul and I've been just letting it eat me away. And instead, God, I want to surrender and I want to see freedom here from this this morning. Would you stand with me across the room? I want to bow your head and close your eyes. And just for a moment, I want to invite you to uh, just have a moment with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to my heart? Would you begin to speak to my heart right now? What is one thing, Lord, that maybe a fleshly desire in my heart uh, that, that I'm allowing, something I'm allowing in my life that's taking me the wrong way? God, it's become a distraction. It's, it's been waging war against my soul. It's eating me up, and I've just allowed it to remain in there. What is that thing? Just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit. Have a moment with Him, and we'll respond together. we are so grateful for what you have invited us into, the way you have called us. Call us words that we don't deserve to be called. We are chosen. We are royal. We don't deserve those words, but we thank you that you call us that word. And God, we admit that so often we are, we are still running back to the flesh, seeking that stuff to fill us up. And God, it leaves us dry. It eats away at our soul, God. And today we're just saying, Lord, once again, we want to turn back to you, God. I want a Monday faith. I want a faith that is fervently planted in you, God. I don't want to go through the religious motions of a Sunday morning and then my week look like everybody else. God, just playing the game like everybody else. Instead, God, I pray that my heart and my life would look different. When the world sees me, they see somebody who's grounded in Christ, whose hope is grounded in Christ, whose life is found in Christ and not in my circumstance. God, I pray that over our church, Lord, would we be markedly different from the world around us? God, would there be something different in our souls? God, the way that we see the world, would it be different because we're grounded in you, Jesus? And God, I pray that we, as we lay down the things that get in the way, God, I pray that you would stir it up in our hearts, Lord. God, stir up a new passion and desire for you. God, may, may we replace this hunger for fleshly things, be replaced with a hunger for you as you satisfy. You are living water that never runs dry. God, I pray that we would crave you like never before. Would you do that in our hearts, Lord Jesus? Do that in our hearts, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. 
We're going to take the next five, ten minutes, and we're going to just respond here. I've asked the worship team to lead us in a song. But I want you to have an altar moment wherever you are. You may need to come to this altar. Maybe God's spoken something. You need to get on your knees to this altar. Maybe you need to make an altar where you are. But can we have a moment of surrender before Jesus to say, God, we are, we are putting you ahead. We are laying some things down, and we are pursuing you again. Can we just respond? Let's have a moment to do that together. Jesus.